The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations from listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely online at kopn.org. Thank you. Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture and find food truth. And today I'm honored to welcome my guest, Dr. Ailey Cohen. She is a board-certified rheumatologist and integrative medicine and environmental health expert based in Princeton, New Jersey. She has collaborated with the Environmental Working Group, Cancer Schmancer, and other disease prevention organizations and is co-editor with biologist Dr. Fred Vomsahl of the textbook Integrative Environmental Medicine. In 2015, Dr. Cohen created the SmartHuman.com to share environmental health, disease prevention, and wellness information with the public. Dr. Cohen speaks nationally on environmental health topics for elementary and high schools, colleges, universities, medical schools. She does physician training programs, and she's a regular expert guest on national TV, radio, and print publications. Dr. Cohen is working to educate and empower the next generation to make safer, smarter lifestyle choices through the creation of environmental health and prevention curricula for schools nationwide. Her consumer book, Non-Toxic, Guide to Living Healthy in a Chemical World, will be released in August of 2020. It is available now for pre-order. Her TEDx talk, How to Protect Your Kids from Toxic Chemicals, can be found on YouTube, and I will provide a link to that. Dr. Cohen, welcome. Thank you so much. What a lovely introduction. Well, I am really curious. I hear the word rheumatologist, but I wonder, could you explain to our listeners what exactly is rheumatology? So rheumatology really began from the word rheuma, which really means joint, and how things flow through the body through the joints, and this was centuries old. But rheumatology has expanded its breadth of disease and illness management. Instead of just being a joint-specific field, specialty in medicine off of internal medicine, it's kind of expanded into areas of infectious disease that affect the joint, like Lyme disease crystal arthropathies or gout, for instance, which is pretty common, and it's really just expanded dramatically. Certainly autoimmune diseases are quite the bailiwick of rheumatology in terms of rheumatoid arthritis, lupus, polymyalgia rheumatica, and certainly mechanical types of arthritis, such as osteoarthritis from aging and back pain and a whole host of those kind of mechanical-related joint issues. So when you were in medical school, How much of a conversation was the role of environmental health and food and nutrition? How much did you learn about the interplay of those factors in the disease state? Well, I could say my memory doesn't serve me well in general at this age, but I can tell you there is pretty much nothing that I can recall in medical school training back about 25 to 30 years ago in terms of nutrition in terms of specifics of vitamins or how food quality interplays with with disease and disease, you know, illnesses that arise from food-related contamination and processed foods. There certainly wasn't any environmental health. Environmental health generally is not just food in terms of chemicals that we consume. Environmental health is also expanded to 
drinking water quality and the contaminants that we're now seeing pervasively around the world and certainly in the United States. Certainly, environmental health includes pesticides and how we use them in our home, on our pets, and certainly on our food. It encompasses air pollution and what we breathe and how that may have a direct effect towards asthma and COPD exacerbation and actually COVID-19 now, which I think is going to certainly make people's ears perk up about how environment plays a key role in this pandemic that we're all being plagued with. So there's also stress as a form of environmental contaminant, so to speak, noise pollution, um, synthetic light. There's just a whole variety of issues that surround us when it comes to what affects the human body from the outside. Mm-hmm. I am so glad to hear a physician speak about all of these factors. And I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, but those factors that you mentioned, that's what really defines integrative medicine. Is that what you would say as well? Yeah, I think integrative medicine, and I was really new to this concept when I first got into it. I mean, at the time, I actually was exploring integrative medicine as a training program. I was eating Cheese Whiz and Oreos and really just wasn't paying attention to some of of my own habits that I think later on I look back with, you know, a gas. But the thing is that integrative medicine as a general rule is really integrating the best of what we have, whether it's Eastern medicinal therapies, Ayurvedic, acupuncture, herbal medicine, with very common sense lifestyle changes that really do reduce the risk of many acute and chronic illnesses. So, of course, food matters. We are what we eat. Of course, Low levels of water contamination over time can actually add up personal care products that we put on every day, hundreds of chemicals that are primarily untested for health and safety issues are actually something we throw on all the time. So integrative medicine to me is mind, body, spirit, and really seeing how all of these things interact so that we can all try to strive for health, health and wellness. Mm. So that's how I look at it. Environmental health is really one component of the big picture of integrative medicine. Right. Well, it is refreshing to hear a physician speak in these terms because I just think that those synergies can leave us only in better health at the end of the day. And I'm really glad you brought up the COVID-19 issue because one of the reasons why I wanted to interview you is because I saw an article that was published in Environmental Health, and it was titled, How Toxic Chemicals Contribute to COVID-19 Deaths. And as I'm reading through here, I'm seeing, oh, chronic inflammation primes the body to react with a heightened response to immune system insults such as the COVID-19 infection. And then I read on to see all of these environmental toxins contribute to inflammation and affect our endocrine system. So, In a nutshell, what would you like to say about the relationship to the toxic soup that we swim in every day and our risk to COVID-19? Yeah, it's still the story is unfolding. But what we know is, is starting to become pretty clear when it comes to inflammatory response. It's really that our environment sets us up for sort of an elevated baseline status of inflammation. So chemicals like bisphenol A, which is in canned foods, on currency, phthalates, which is a group of chemicals that we are exposed to from personal care products and in fragrances, and a variety of other contaminants, be it in water or even particulate air matter, which is major cities, of course, and downstream for manufacturing. 
what we're finding is, or I say we generally speaking, but researchers are finding that the more that we're immersed in this ongoing persistence of chemicals from every aspect of our daily lives, there are well-known repercussions for that. We know that inflammatory markers such as interleukin-6, interleukin-17, all the different components, cytokines, natural killer cells, these are our army, our army that fights infection. And through anthropology, that's what we've developed. But we're seeing that these inflammatory markers are being triggered at lower levels of exposure over time and that when we go into a situation perhaps of exposure to a pretty aggressive virus, that we're being actually primed because we already had a level of inflammation. And that can come from exposure, but also from the comorbid diseases that come from those chemical exposures, such as diabetes and autoimmune diseases, hypertension, heart disease. Those are related to chronic exposure to chemicals through the endocrine system. And so when you go into a period where we're getting exposed by a pretty aggressive virus, for instance, it turns out that those people that have higher baseline inflammatory status from a poor lifestyle, perhaps even comorbid issues, they actually respond to the virus in a much more aggressive way and end up sicker and often in hospital settings, particularly ICUs, more so than many people that don't have comorbid conditions such as high blood pressure, heart disease, chronic diabetes, and even autoimmune disease. So it really begs the question, are we all baseline very sick as a culture, you know, not just here but internationally? And are we just too well exposed to too many chemicals that have led to illness that is now predisposing us to this really big insult in our environment now? Mm, Yeah, I think the time is really right for this kind of conversation. And I do think that Americans as a rule, because of our diet and because of our lifestyle, you know, the constant push, our lack of vacation days compared to say the EU, our ability to look at sleep rather than being restorative, we look at it like it's a badge of honor if we can manage on less hours of sleep. So I think culturally, our population in particular has a lot of work to do. And I think your book would be a great place to start. I want to bring something forth that you brought up in an excellent TED Talk, and I will provide a link to that. But you said that we are exposed generally, on average, 47 different personal care products per day, or is that 47 chemical products per day? So that TED Talk was really taking, and I I had asked a bunch of friends to, to think about all the different products that they put in, on, and around their bodies, including myself. And I had come up with about 47, be it food, be it personal care products, drinking water, you know, anything that was either commercial or had a chemical involved with it. And I tried to limit it. But we all came up with an average of about 47 exposures to products or chemicals on a daily basis. And that included cleaning products as well. And really what that came down to is that when you're exposed every day and then you multiply that out by weeks and then months and then years, You're talking of hundreds of thousands of exposures in a lifetime from a chemical or several chemicals or hundreds of chemicals. And so really, it was trying to illustrate, and I hope people will watch the TED Talk because I think the TED Talk actually does a better job of explaining it than I am now. But the idea is that low-level daily exposures of things that we really think nothing about, 
that we have no concern about because of the marketing that surrounds them. And because these chemicals are on the store shelves, we assume them to be safe. Mm -hmm. But they add up because we can now find and measure the chemicals in our personal care products in our blood, in our breast tissue, in our urine. And so we're seeing that it's making, these chemicals are making their way into our bodies and they're actually measurable, even our children's. And I think people don't realize that. And it was just sort of a message of consumption. Do we need all of these exposures? Do we need all these products? And the way I see it is how do we figure out what stuff is good and what stuff is bad for us? Mm-hmm. Which is really where the guide came from, the you know non-toxic guide to living healthy in a chemical world. How do we navigate this really just enormous field of chemical exposures? And as a layperson, which I considered myself seven or eight years ago, which people will see in the TED Talk, I had to learn pretty quickly about all of the lack of regulation on these chemicals and really where exposures come from. And as a layperson learning this curve of information, I decided at this point I need to share this with everyone else because they wouldn't have to do all that work to figure it out. And it's really giving people an idea and the tools and the resources to really navigate this world in the most simplistic, practical way possible without extra cost. And that's important because I want to reach everybody. I want to reach every group socioeconomically, education level. I want people to know that they have the ability to reduce exposures to chemicals without being wealthy and without having a college background or anything like that. So that's kind of the story behind that. And I do encourage people to see it if they have the time. It's 13 minutes, but it's, it's good stuff, I think. <laughs> it's terrific. And I need to take one break. We're halfway through and just remind our listeners that if you're just joining us, you're tuned into Food Sleuth Radio. We are joined by Dr. Ailey Cohen. She is a board-certified rheumatologist. She is an integrative medicine and environmental health expert. She's based in Princeton, New Jersey, and she is the author of a brand new book titled Non-Toxic, Guide to Living Healthy in a Chemical World, available now for pre-order. A couple of comments based on what you were explaining about the product numbers that we are exposed to. I remember learning about how products are tested. So they're tested individually, never in combination. So we miss out on learning how different chemicals might interact and be even more potent. They're also not tested for chronic exposure. So you might test, an, it might be an animal test for so many months, say, but that does not equate to a lifetime of exposure for a human. So I think the message that we get largely from industry that produces these is like, oh, you know, it's just a low dose. It's been approved by the EPA or FDA or USDA. These organizations, these governmental agencies that we have come to think of as having a role in protecting us. And yet those agencies depend largely on industry research, which seems to me to be a conflict of interest. Absolutely. I mean, you're hitting on a very important concept. How are these chemicals even tested? Well, they're not required to be on any major level. And many of the chemicals, even if they are tested, are tested on adult exposure, not in utero exposure with pregnant women, not in the immunocompromised communities, certainly not in children. And we know that children per body max index actually have higher exposure than any adult. They have much more 
immature detoxification systems to even break down those exposures. They have hand-to-mouth behavior, so they're getting a higher load just based on being on the floor with dust where a lot of these chemicals accumulate. And they have a lack of variety of food, which turns out many foods that are nutritious, plant-based material, actually can help decrease exposure or I should say the toxic effects of some chemicals such as BPA. So they're not even well protected from a nutritional perspective against chemicals. So it's a really important topic, and I think because of that, we really have to pay better attention because of the lifetime exposure from childhood all the way to adulthood of chemicals that, once again, have not been tested for safety or toxicity nationally in this country. Exactly. I want to get back to your TED Talk for a moment because I think that while many of us are geared towards caring about our children and future generations, there's a group of people who are more motivated by what is happening to their pets. Maybe they don't have children, or maybe their dogs and cats are everything to them. And you start out your TED Talk talking about the loss of who you call your firstborn, which is your dog, your beautiful golden retriever, Truxton. And that Truxton was really the canary in the coal mine. Truxton was he enabled you to see a new way to take your work. Tell me about Truxton and the light he turned on for you. The legacy, yes. Well, Truxton, you just gave me chills because I don't often think of Truxton these days unless, you know, something like this kind of forum comes up. But, you know, Truxton was a beautiful dog, a golden retriever. We had him before our kids. He was our baby. And he got really ill. Around four and a half years of age, he turned yellow, and we figured he had chewed a sock, and maybe he had just some kind of infection that would pass, you know, from all the stuff he carried around in his mouth and all that stuff. But we live on farmland, and we really had no idea whether or not that may have participated in such an unusual diagnosis. I mean, he was diagnosed with autoimmune hepatitis, which for an autoimmune disease doctor for humans was just heartbreaking and just blew my mind, really. But when I was trying to figure out how this dog's immune system could have triggered against him, and again, very rare in dogs, especially golden retrievers, I started to think about his environment, including what he eats. Was it contaminated food from wherever we got it from? Was his water contaminated? Because we lived in farmland, but we had municipal tap water. Maybe there was a break in the system. I wondered about the and tick medicine that I was always dousing on the back of his neck and whether or not that as a neurotoxin would really have caused his immune system to go awry. And so I really was exploring these topics and the more I was looking into them for him and to explain this for our great sadness, I just couldn't help myself but step across all of these horrible statistics and lack of regulation that I was finding for the American public for human beings. And I kept on looking up and around in the kitchen going, are you serious? Are you serious? And it just, I had to get it confirmed. So I started researching and reaching out to groups like the Environmental Working Group. And I confirmed that, in fact, our environment is incredibly toxic, that our regulation is incredibly poor, and that poor Truxton, he was the, you're right, canary in the coal mine that actually opened my eyes to this process. And I actually just said the other day to my husband, as we were moving forward with so many other, you know, smart human and all these different projects, 
I said, you know, had this dog of this love of mine not passed away at such a ridiculously young age, I don't know if I would be doing what I'm doing because Mm -hmm. I would have really been very passive and busy with kids. And I would have just gone on with my life with a dog that maybe lived to 13 and not really made much of an effort in that area. So I do believe he was meant to be in my life. And I do consider my work a sad compensation for his loss. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you also bring up the fact that you were using lawn chemicals in addition to being exposed to whatever the farmer was spraying. And in your book, you talk about the nose, how the nose knows that the smell will tell you if something is toxic. And I live in a community that's a couple of blocks from campus. There are a lot of people who care about how their lawns look. They use these chemicals in the spring and then again in the fall. And when I read that part of your book about listening to your nose, I thought, oh my gosh, you know, there are a couple of weeks in May that it's painful to walk in my neighborhood because of people who feel like they have to have a monoculture lawn. And you've got the double whammy of having the lawn chemicals as well as being so close to a farm that is not certified organic if they're spraying glyphosate, etc. So we are hit by these chemicals on many different levels. And that's in addition to the products that we willingly bring into our homes, like the air fresheners and the shampoos and the cream rinses, etc., So we do indeed swim in this toxic soup, but I think that your advice to listen to if a little voice inside us says, wow, this doesn't smell good at all, that's your sign that it's toxic. Yeah, I think it's a matter of being aware. I think most of us, including myself, would never have thought there was an ever a problem to at least explore when it comes to everything we use from cookware food packaging, food and drinking water, filtering our water. I would have never thought to filter my water had I not learned what I was learning. But even water doesn't always have a taste. And this Mm -hmm. is what I do with high school students is that I actually will dissolve salt into water and let them smell it. And there's no smell. And I'll let them taste synthetic water that has flavoring in it. And I'll get them to see that just because something doesn't you don't see it, you don't smell it, or you don't taste it doesn't mean that a contaminant is not in drinking water, which happens to be my biggest beef of all environmental issues, believe it or not. But the idea that we have to be more in tune with our bodies is an integrative medicine approach. It's a good citizen approach in general. We need to think about what is hitting us and how that affects our sense of smell, touch, and all of our different senses But also, what are we going to do about it? And even if it doesn't smell or or if it doesn't taste like something, should we be proactively looking to see what could be under the hood? One of the biggest issues I have is what can we control and what can't we control? I'm a big fan of the serenity prayer. I put it actually in my book Mm -hmm. in the first couple of pages because I think we need to know what do we spend our time with to, to change? And should we spend time on things we can change or should we labor over things that are just just an impossibility? For instance, we have the ability to take stuff out of our home or not buy it to begin with. And that cuts down enormously on chemical exposure by just not even buying and bringing it into our home. I mean, I used to have an entire drawer of these plug-in air fresheners that had a 100 different smells, all the different enticing peppermint and pumpkin And once I started to understand how these synthetic fragrances are created and 
what chemicals that are harmful that are often, if not always, in them. I took the whole drawer and I emptied out. And I realized that I spent money on those, but I'm never going to spend money on them again. And I think that's always the first message is what can we do cheaply and effectively that automatically cuts these exposures down? And then the second layer is, well, what can we do now to be more proactive about getting them out of our bodies and in our lives? So filtration or filtering water, but also exercising because when we sweat, we are removing them from our bodies. When we have good quality sleep, there's great data showing we clear chemicals from our brains. So the book is really trying to push that. I mean, I teach this to high school and college students, of course, but I'm trying to get everyone to understand that we have much more control over this issue than we think we do. And Mm -hmm. that's the message that I want to leave everybody with. Well, and I think you bring up a good point, too. You know, I mentioned the acrid aroma coming from these lawn chemicals, but you're right, the air fresheners that are designed to smell good or even perfumes. You know, when I was younger, when I was a teenager, I liked wearing perfume. And now I don't use fragrances because of the phthalates that often carry the scent. So it's not necessarily an indication if something smells bad. But as you say, relying on our bodies to be more informative. And one by one, taking these offensive products out of our lives. But we have to know first that they are offensive. You know, I stayed at a an Airbnb a couple of years ago, and a nurse was the homeowner, and she had those plug-ins in her room that she was renting out. And I thought, gosh, she's a nurse. You'd think she'd know better. But nothing is obvious to the uninformed. That's one of my favorite slogans. If we are not trained, if we are not educated to know about these toxins, we can't possibly change our environment. So I really appreciate the fact that you've written a book to tell us what is toxic in our environment and how we can take steps to remove it. Dr. Cohen, we just have a minute left, and I wanted to just leave that minute for you to let our listeners know anything that I might have neglected to bring forth. Well, thank you. So first of all, wonderful conversation and touching on so many issues, including which I left out, medications, which I do think people don't realize are another type of chemical. Some are very much necessary. And of course, I use them all the time, but we want to think about those as well as an exposure. And it's something to talk about with physicians or your healthcare provider. But I want people just to, again, be empowered to know that they have much more control and that they just need the tools and the resources to really get into the role of gatekeeper to what goes in, on, and around their bodies and the bodies of their family members and children and pets. And so that's really what my goal is across the board. And I post regular information on all of these topics, air, water, diet, nutrition, on The Smart Human, which you mentioned earlier, thesmarthuman.com. It's our website where you can sign up for the newsletter and blog. And then, of course, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, The Smart Human is really where I do my regular posts for community. And I really hope people will appreciate those posts because I try to give people the simplest, easiest way to get great information without much effort because we're all so busy. And I hope people will follow and share with their family and friends. I'm available in Princeton if anyone needs me. I have a website that's called A-L-Y-C-O-H-E-N-M-D.com, so A-L-Y-C-O-H-E-N-M-D.com. But hopefully people won't need me if they're well. I mean, that's the goal is to get people well and not need me. So thank you so much for having me and allowing me this time to share this information. Well, 
We're going to have to have you come back and do a part two because there are so many points in your book that we haven't covered that I know our listeners will want to hear about. What we must close, and I want to thank our listeners for joining us. I want to remind everyone that Food Sleuth Radio is produced by Dan Hemelgarn at KOPN Studios in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. Most of all, I want to thank my guest, Dr. Ailey Cohen, board-certified rheumatologist, integrative medicine, and environmental health expert based in Princeton, New Jersey, and the author of a brand new book, Non-Toxic, Guide to Living Healthy in a Chemical World. It is available right now, and we will provide a link to all of your websites. Thank you so much, Dr. Cohen, for your time. Thank you so much for having me.